Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Housing Wire digital producer Victoria Wickham, and this is The Daily Download. Today, I'm joined by Housing Wire lead analyst Logan Motoshami to discuss his recent article, Is Mortgage Credit Really Too Tight Since COVID-19? Since Logan's article is part of our HW Plus premium membership community, we do have a special code for our podcast community. Use the code HWPLUS100 to get $100 off your annual membership, and feel free to email me if you have any questions on how to sign up. In today's interview, Motoshami discusses his thoughts on the Mortgage Bankers Association's recent mortgage credit report and how mortgage credit plays into the larger story on COVID-19's impact on the housing market. But before you listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Extraordinary challenges demand extraordinary solutions. CoreLogic is uniquely positioned to help you navigate this historic disruption. Whether it's virtual home showings, flexible employment verifications, or automated loan modification engines, CoreLogic delivers the data-driven solutions, targeted insights, and deep domain expertise trusted by the nation's most successful mortgage lenders. Explore how CoreLogic can help you today. Visit corelogic.com forward slash COVID-19. Hi, guests. Today we have Logan Motoshami with us again. We know how much you loved his last interview, so we decided to bring him back once more. Logan, have you always been so popular? Uh, I don't think popular is a term. I think uh, being annoying, an annoying nerd is more uh, more, more to my uh, liking. <laughs> okay, if you say so. Well, Logan, we wanted to bring you on today to discuss your most recent article titled, Is Mortgage Credit Really Too Tight Since COVID-19? In that article, you mentioned that online, particularly on social media sites like Twitter, there has been some speculation that the financial requirements to qualify for a mortgage has been increasingly more rigorous since the pandemic. The NBA released an article that said it hasn't been this hard to get a mortgage in six years. In this article, Jill Kahn, an MBA associate vice president, said the drop in the availability of credit was driven by a reduction in supply from both conventional and government segments of the market. What are your thoughts on this data, and do you agree or disagree with the MBA's point? You know, I, I actually agree with what the MBA is trying to say. There are certain products that have been coming off uh, in, in that survey. My uh, contention always has been that, you know, a lot of housing bears in America use the tight credit for their home sales decline and home price crash decline. And it's been commonly used on Twitter a lot uh, since March. And it, even early on in March, I've kind of in interviews, and I wrote this on Housing Wire on April 14th, that housing is the doom. 4.5 to 6.2% of all loans are going to have much more difficulty getting done now than before March 9th. And that means 93% of the loans that people use are, are going to be uh, available out there. And a lot of this has to do with that Freddie and Fannie are not publicly traded companies uh, that have no government backing. So uh, the reason I wanted to take this uh, lending is in tight uh, thesis is that to try to explain to people that that chart that the NBA used is correct, 
but the context of the bearish theme around it isn't because lending has never been tight in America really from 2008 to 2020. It's just that the marginal loans that people have had when the, you know, when the credit got easier, some of those loans go away. So naturally the denominator shows that the decline is, and it just looks like, oh, credit is so tight, nobody can get loans. Guys, originations are multi-decade highs, okay? That's just how it is. You know, if credit was really tight, you wouldn't see the refinances, you wouldn't see the purchase market uh, do this. And that was the point I try to make back in April that it's only a small percentage of loans. So if you are a housing bear trying to use this as a, here comes the home price crash, crash here comes the sales decline, here comes all this stuff. Just remember 93% of all loans that can be done are being done. There are certain products that, you know, the non-QM loans, the low FICO score FHA loans, the jumbo loans, cash out refinance, these things having much more difficulty, you know, home equity lines, some lenders took that up. But in general, the bread and butter, the majority of all loans that people get in America can be done. Digging a little deeper into that question, and this is also the crux of your article, you mentioned that nothing is abnormal about not lending to Americans with low FICO scores, and we should be proud as a country that our home loan profiles look this good. Would you mind explaining why this is important for people in the industry to keep in mind as reports on credit come out like the one from the NBA? One of the things that I really wanted to make an emphasis on in the last 10 years is that to go against the tight lending crowd, because the tight lending crowd to me were think tanks or college professors or people who actually never worked in lending. And they always said that, look, lending is tight because we're not lending to people with FICO scores under 620. Generally speaking, to keep it as simple as possible, people that have low FICO scores do not have positive cash flows. And this is why they miss credit card payments. This is why they miss auto loan payments. And this is why the revolving balance to the limit is high. This, these are the prime factors why your FICO score would be low. Typically, these people don't buy homes. So what we've seen, and you know, I, I always emphasize that, that credit uh, FICO score, a mortgage origination chart, the 620 and under crowd, not that big. And it shouldn't be that big. And it's never coming back. And I think that's the thing that I've tried to say in the last 10 years. This group is never coming back, right? Because the, the fundamentals is that they can't make their current payments without taking on the biggest debt payment in their life. So we should be proud that we do not facilitate non-owning capacity debt. And that if you look at the FICO scores now, especially in the last eight years, you can see a majority more people are above 700, which means cash flows are good which means they have savings. They don't typically carry big balances on their credit cards. Uh, and, and this is gonna be the case forever. If we change this, then we start putting risk back in the system. And one of the reasons why I'm, I am very bullish on, uh, on housing in general, is not just the demographics, but the loan profiles in the last 10 years have been the best I've ever seen in my 24 years in the business. Uh, you have nested equity, fixed low debt costs, no exotic loan debt structure. I think that's the missing, missing point is that, People uh, don't understand what I, when I talk about exotic loan debt structures, that means non-owning capacity debt, I mean that recast rates means you could have two people working the house. It doesn't matter. They have to either sell the house or foreclose. We don't have any of that. So when you have lending to the capacity to own a debt, you don't have a lot of low FICO score Americans. And the data has shown this for 10 years. And the people that brought you the tight lending thesis for the 10 years, have never said, oop, I got this wrong. And this is why I say, this is gonna be one of the biggest false narrative economic discussions in the 21st century. Lending was never tight in America from 2008 to 2020. It's actually still pretty liberal. 
Looking at the bigger picture here, how does mortgage credit play into the larger story on the impact of COVID-19 is having on the housing market like home prices? Well, credit is still available for those to, uh, uh, that, that have the capacity to own the debt easily. That's, that's not an issue. I think one of the things that we have to go move on to, to 2021 is that, uh, you know, there are some timelines for people that get off of forbearance uh, before they can refinance. Stuff like that will be more interesting to see in 2021, because if, if I'm right, there's a lot of people in forbearance that did not need it. Right. And then in, and also those that took forbearance because they might have lost their job. If they get their jobs back or an income back, these are homeowners. These are not speculators. Speculators don't live in the house. They speculators don't care about their kids going to school or being with their friends. Speculators only care about price. And that's so much of the housing discussion in the last 10 years is price only, which I terribly disagree with. Uh, the economics of housing is good now. But um, 2021, we'll see how many people could actually, you know what, I, I need a smaller home. Uh, I want to buy a house. I'll put my house in the market and uh, get a smaller home because the, the payments will be lower. Uh, we'll see how that plays out next year. But credit actually was pretty good considering how deep this crisis was because I go back to the same things. Freddie and Fannie were not publicly traded companies. Uh, uh, without government backing. If that was the case, the entire housing discussion might have been different this time. Also, Logan, we noticed you started phasing out bubble boys and coined a new term, forbearance crash bros. I couldn't let the podcast end without asking you why this is. What changed? Well, the housing bubble boys have always been here, I think, since 2012. You know, uh, uh, they believe that nominal home prices have to go back to 1996 levels. It never actually did, even after the bubble burst. And, you know, on, on adjusting to inflation, equivalents of rent, you, you could have might have made that case. But uh, the bubble boys are here every year because they're a marketing gimmick. So uh, they just keep on moving the goalposts every year, 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 year. These are the worst talented economic people I, I don't even want to call them economic people. They're just marketing troll camp armies. And then, you know, when March and April came, and said, here it is, the housing's going to crash or bubble down. And it's like, no, I, I even wrote a specific article to say, guys, don't do this. All these things need to happen in 2020. It's not going to happen. So like they did every year, they move the goalposts. So I'm thinking, you know, we've got to give them another name because all now it's all the forbearance crash, forbearance crash. And it's just not the same as it was in, you know, during the housing bubble years. So I thought we have to change their name to Forbearance Crash Bros. It's a lot of guys on the internet say, hey, Forbearance or Crash. And then these are marketing gimmicks. These are not data people. These people never have talked about demographics in the last 10 years. And they're running into the best housing demographic patch ever recorded in history. And this is why when we look back in history, the 2020 housing bears might be the worst economic group of our lifetime. Because in a time where they said, here we go, 30, 40, 50% home price crashes, housing was the most outperforming economic sector in the world. There, right there, you should think about, hmm, maybe something's wrong with this group. Of course, to wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, just be patient on the forbearance story. Uh, I, you know, come December, I'm going to write an article for Housing Wire talking about, you know, the, the, the risks of this. But you kind of already see what's happening is that people are starting to get off of forbearance. They're modifying their loans, you know, which means they're probably taking the uh, uh, payments to the back end. Uh, don't, don't make the mistake the housing bubble boys have made always. Assuming the worst case scenario every day you wake up, 
Uh, uh, that's not a healthy way to live. That's not a healthy way to look at economics. These are just marketing troll camps. These are not economic people. Unless somebody gives you an economic model to where their price crash is and gives you a percentage and a, and a, and a model to get there, just be skeptical of them and don't click their websites or don't click their YouTube accounts. They're doing this on purpose to play amongst your peers. Logan, as always, we appreciate your time today. My pleasure. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Daily Download. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy this again tomorrow.